Hello and welcome. This is the Fit for Privacy podcast, the podcast for professionals. I'm your host Punit Bhatia. In this podcast, we talk to influencers so that you get to listen and learn from their experiences and thoughts. Remember, this is not legal advice and if you need one, please contact a professional with your situation. So let's get started. Hello and welcome. Today we are in Fit for Privacy podcast and we have with us Joanna Vandavar who is a DPO and Privacy and Protection Officer at Center for Innovation in University of Leiden. So welcome Joanna. Hi. Thanks for being here and if I may ask if you can introduce yourself and also elaborate why do you segregate between this DPO and Privacy and Protection Officer if you can get us into that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, as you know, working data privacy at the university, um, surprisingly enough, didn't study to become this. Studied uh, international relations mm-hmm. and international studies with a very uh, strong focus on conflict prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you, and as I started discovering that a lot of the way the world's digitizing, mm-hmm. a lot of the issues that we're going to face in all sectors are related to data so I became more of a data expert and then because I have a very strong uh, interest in in protection of people in vulnerable situations or I'm very much passionate very passionate about people Mm -hmm. I realized that if people aren't paying if us experts are not paying attention to what's happening on the digital realm um, these vulnerable people are going to have their rights violated. They're yeah. going to be exploited in ways that they might not necessarily able to protect themselves from. So that's how I got into this. The reason we've separated the data protection officer and a privacy and protection lead is I was originally just the data protection officer and right. that was very much focused on GDPR compliance. Yeah. Um, but then we got a new director who found it very interesting that we kept i kept saying that we as a center should should aim to move beyond just our legal obligations that should right. be the foundation upon which we base all of our um ways of working yeah but there are elements that are not covered by the law especially when you're working in innovation right you're working with technologies that aren't explicitly covered yeah and so the idea was to how to move beyond that and that was where the privacy and protection lead came out is that we're not just looking at um, being a data protection legal yeah the legal element and not just GDPR we mm. work with a lot of partner organizations who are not um, they don't fall under the GDPR mm-hmm. or they're working in working with populations in countries that don't fall under the GDPR right so there is that idea that it's more about the people. So our line is people mm-hmm. first in innovation. Okay. And how do we focus on the people right. rather than just the law? And so privacy and protection lead is a uh, position that's a little bit more open mm-hmm. to that element of evolution that exists within within technological innovation and how to make sure that we're protecting people and protecting their right to privacy at the same time. Very interesting. And you say just DPO, I mean, <laughs> the DPO in itself is for some people too big of a role. They need a data protection office or officer and so on. And 
they have a huge staff yeah. and you say just DPO. That was the more one <laughs> uh, takeaway. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that kind of relates. We're a small organization, so yeah. I only do the Center for Innovation. I don't represent the whole of Leiden University. Ah, okay. Um, I Part of my job is to keep in line with what the university is doing in terms of their GDPR compliance. So they have um, two data protection offices okay. and they really do the entire university's mm. um, compliance mechanisms, their steps that they're going to take. But because we were, we help the university introduce new technologies okay. um, and we prepare them for the digital future. So chatbots, we experiment with a whole bunch of different technologies. Mm -hmm. and. What we've started to do is as we help introduce that into an organization, we couple that with advice on what kind of privacy and protection issues or risks you're going to face mm -hmm. and some kinds of recommendations for how you can mitigate those risks. Um, partly because if you look at, for instance, data protection courses for the GDPR, mm -hmm. you have the... Um, the emerging technologies focus which is the gray areas of the law right and when i did my certification at maastricht for the data protection officer every question i had every question i asked the expert they said oh that's in the gray area of the law <laughs> that works in the gray area of the law and i thought to myself well then our entire organization most a lot of the work right is in the gray areas of the law so yep. that's for me the data protection officer a lot of that is quite there's a law. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people working on it. Right. Um, so you can get a lot of advice. Yeah. And there's a, a kind of a guidebook. There's a law with guidance on how to do it, having an Article 30 register. How, yeah. Whereas when you start in the gray areas, that's when you start having to think for yourself right. and try and understand the essence of the law. What was what exactly. were they trying to get at? How would that apply to a technology that they haven't explicitly spoken about? So the, the data protection officer part, for me, I find is the easiest one oh. because there are so many people working on it. Right. When you get to the gray area, that's yeah. the one I find really difficult because you have to really research it, really mm -hmm. document your findings, really speak to people about the essence of the law, which is when you start getting into ethics mm -hmm. and those yeah. those areas for me, I find really difficult. I find that the more difficult part yeah. of my job. That's certainly more challenging. I mean, the law is the law, yeah. but then interpreting it and applying it to the real life situations, people generally don't make the distinction. Yeah. They look at it all that together for the DPO. Yeah. But if you make that segregation, some things are straightforward, a very few that, okay, yeah. you should have a data inventory, you should do yeah. a DPIA and so on. But what to do after that when the risks are there? Yeah. Is it going to impact the rights and freedoms of people or not? Yeah. And that's always a decision. You may have one decision, I may have something else, yeah. and the other person may have something else. So it's people-specific rather than law-specific. Yeah, and it's also the evolution of the context. Right, it's also. Because the context might change, and a decision that was made yesterday when you interpreted the law right. in this context yesterday, today all of a sudden you're in a different context. Right. And the mechanism you set up yesterday yes. isn't adequate for today, and that I find... That's also my favorite part. <laughs> I like complex, challenging problems, and I, that's the part that really drives me. Sure. So if I may ask, yeah. I mean, we don't need to, uh, we don't seem to need warming up, <laughs> but still, uh, what do you love about this privacy job or privacy as a subject? The context. The, context, the context. contextualness of it. The fact mm. that 
there is no two contexts that are the same. Right. Um, and so you're constantly having to put yourself in somebody else's shoes um, and understand what kind of risks, to understand the risks mm-hmm. to people's privacy and the possible impacts that could have on their lives. You mm-hmm. have to really put yourself in their shoes. And I think that really is my favorite part and I think probably the part that my degree helps my degrees and my studies and my the specializations I did mm-hmm. during university helped me the most with is that uh, cultural understanding and the context the ability to contextually mm-hmm. understand a different country a different society different right. cultures because then you understand the privacy in a different light in a different view yeah, from a different in a perspective, different perspective yeah. indeed and is there something you hate about privacy don't like about privacy i guess the fact that it's so contextual could also be something <laughs> you don't like i mean you you know as a privacy expert sometimes it can just it gets so complex yeah that it can feel a bit overwhelming i would say yeah the interpretation of the law sometimes and in implementing or making sense suggestions in a context because people come to you saying you are the dpo you are the privacy officer you'll know it but yeah. it's not we know it we know the law we know we know what it says but we need to know what's your situation what you're doing yeah. and then need to infer what should be done in that as you say yeah. context that's the right word yeah yeah I, yeah that yeah that, so it's both my favorite and my least liked part of privacy interesting and if you were to describe GDPR in just one word, what that would be? Foundations. Foundation. Yeah. Wow. So you see it as a foundation towards something bigger. Yeah, I think it's. I think the attention that came with it, and what it aimed to do, mm-hmm. such as solidifying those fundamental rights, I think mm-hmm. that is a first step in a very long and hard process we have to regaining control of privacy from private sector companies who are exploiting it from from lack of respect for that those mm-hmm. fundamental rights lack of understanding of the why those fundamental rights are mm-hmm. fundamental rights in the first place <laughs> so i think there i think it's the first step and it was so i'd been working with data responsibility and working with risks around data for a couple of years before mm-hmm. GDPR came into effect and my I loved the fact that when it came into effect I wasn't seen as the, this crazy person who's just always talking about privacy people all of a sudden started coming so we heard that you're really good at this privacy thing can you help us because we <laughs> you know so all of a sudden people who had been ignoring it or putting it off mm-hmm. wanted it wanted to pay it they attention. started to acknowledge yeah. your role and relevance into the situation yeah, into yeah. the context yeah and they started thinking about privacy which is my favorite part because they mm-hmm. know their contexts like yeah. we've been talking about how contextual privacy is they know the context of their work better than anybody else mm-hmm. they're the experts in their area yeah so having them think about privacy really helps because they can then understand how privacy would work in their area of work right that's uh, one of the things i also say whenever whenever i work with a client is you cannot have privacy responsible and take he or she would take care of it. It's everybody's responsibility. Yeah. You can have a DPO or not, okay, a decision yeah. to be made. You can assign somebody as a privacy champion, a decision to be made yeah. or a sponsor or whatever you want to call him. But end of the day, everyone in your company is pri- responsible for privacy. Yeah. 
and that's very hard to convince them yeah i think i think you hit on one of the hardest parts of privacy too is the <laughs> is the convincing people of the importance right. um i think what the way the stance i took and the way we've really started to develop it is um mm-hmm. showing how it would be a tool for them in their own life mm. um and i think that's also helped them put themselves in the shoes of the people who are trying to protect and i think we've seen a massive increase of people coming to me i get people coming to me at least twice a week with a completely different issue i didn't know existed yeah um and saying to me we think this might become an issue with privacy if we continue to work this way or oh. if we you know it doesn't say it in the law that we shouldn't be allowed to do this mm-hmm. but we think it's maybe not ethical exactly and so they'll and then they come do you mind helping us figure out how to do this more ethically or how to do it in the data responsible way that you mm-hmm. are teaching us about also they've all started a lot of them started to protect their own data nice in ways I mean some of them do it more than I do <laughs> which is being yeah it makes you feel a little bit guilty as a privacy officer yeah. when you see somebody better at handling their own private data than you True. are that's that's when you know you've done your job well right exactly that's when you know that's when you feel the satisfaction of working for what you're doing yeah. day in day out yeah exactly yeah you used a term called responsible data responsible or data responsibility quite a few times yeah can you elaborate on that what according to you is data responsibility so i know that um it's a term that most humanitarian sector people will have heard mm-hmm. hopefully because it really came out of out of that area of work that we did we had a a group called the international data responsibility group mm-hmm. um of which one of my colleagues was the secretary and she, and it was uh there were a couple of organizations that were members of it mm-hmm. and we would host conferences to discuss uh data privacy and protection risks in the humanitarian sector and so it came from that when we started seeing that we wanted to move beyond just the law Mm-hmm. we thought that that framework of thinking that the humanitarian sector was exploring mm-hmm. um was one that could be applicable to more than just one sector so mm. i spent about a year exploring what are the elements that they talk about in the humanitarian sector when they talk about data responsibility and how can we distill that into a set amount of categories that you need to look at when you are trying to be responsible with data And so, so for our listeners then yeah it's a concept you have borrowed or taken from the humanitarians is that and it is now the central theme or the concept on which the center is working on how you see gdpr or data privacy compliance is that right yeah i wouldn't say taken it from them <laughs> i think we they were the first there because of the context that they work in okay they work with highly very vulnerable populations in yeah. tense contexts conflict contexts mm-hmm. um and i think so i wouldn't say taking it i think they were the first to be forced into looking at what this responsibility yeah what and when you're working with people's data and you're working with uh, innovation mm-hmm. and especially technological innovation what are your responsibility what is your responsibility as the organization implementing mm-hmm. that so i think they were the first to a very important concept that needs to be applied across sectors Okay. Um and so we've distilled it down to seven elements and then So you made a framework? 
Yeah, we have a framework. It is available on our website. Um, so we say that you need to look at ethics, technology, the legal elements, governance, process, people, and network. If you want to be a truly re responsible organization, mm -hmm. those are the elements. And I think where you'll see GDPR falling is into the legal. Those right. are your legal obligations that you have. But for instance, international organizations are exempt from GDPR. So they mm -hmm. don't fall under the same legal obligations. They do try and adhere to some of the principles, mm -hmm. but they can't be taken to court the same way you or I working with the company can be. When you say that legal organizations are exempt. International organizations. Yeah, international yeah. organizations. Normally we say that if they are processing the personal data of EU citizens, they need to comply with the law. Oh, but that's a, that's a, that's like a legal part. Yeah, but that's a different, um, that's a multinational versus an, an right. IO, an official IO, so the United Nations, ICRC, okay, those way. are international organizations who are exempt from a lot of local um, legal regimes. Oh, okay, so you're talking that Yeah, I'm category. talking the category in international law classified as officially international organizations. They also get exceptions for taxes. They're exempt okay. from a lot of those, mm -hmm. those obligations. So for them, that's one of the main focuses of, for instance, organizations who are GDPR uh, fall under GDPR, mm -hmm. who have to work with an international organization who's exempt. There's right. a lot of tension exactly. on data sharing there. So I, that's a great that's area a great of the area. law that people are trying to figure out. So now you know why every time I ask a question, <laughs> <laughs> that's the gray area of the law. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. No, I was thinking of gray meaning there are a lot of other things when we... Because normally in organizations, people are talking of law. Yeah. And then we convince them to say there's the ethics part and the culture part of it yeah. wherein you put yourself exactly the way you said it you put yourself in the shoes of the customer yeah. and say would you like that to be done yeah i mean precisely i think you yeah but that's the ethics and that part but when you look at data responsibility and your seven areas it's much bigger and much larger way a context of looking at it from different dimensions yeah and i think the key part for instance, why I became privacy and protection lead is I think the key part is that a lot of those do already happen in organizations, mm -hmm. except they're siloed mm -hmm. and they're and they're um, they're done. They're not seen as one whole tool. So I think the difference that we have that we learned from these is they were using all of these elements mm -hmm. as tools to be, be better at handling data. So they were using ethical um, tools to assess themselves. So the concept of do no harm, which comes from the medical sector, mm -hmm. you'll hear my, a man who I consider to be my mentor, he, he really explored that concept of do no harm from the medical sector and applying it to the way you handle data or innovation in vulnerable nice. contexts. Yeah, Very he's Nathaniel Raymond, works at Yale University. Mm. Um, but he, so those are the kinds of conversations we looked at what is everybody saying and how does that distill into a tool a tool that organizations can then use to become more responsible themselves so this is the tool that we use to build our policy hmm. which will then be a gdpr compliant policy because we have the legal element in it but it's much more than legal aspect but we have that ethics thing of do we ask ourselves even hmm. if it is legal is it ethical and you ask that question in the same forum, same team, same committee? Uh, 
see, so we're first we developed this, and I am now tasked with really building that out. So we have uh, three different areas that we really work on. Um, we have the internal, so that's managing our own systems, the way we work. We have the the project, so we have a number of projects mm -hmm. that don't necessarily fall under data responsibility, but we try and build data responsibility elements into them to make right. sure that the way the data is being managed is yeah. according to these principles. And uh, then you have the external part, which is where we conduct projects directly with partners, focusing purely on data responsibility and helping. Mm -hmm. And that's where we partner with humanitarian organizations, the World Food Program. We've mm -hmm. had a couple of projects with and so that's I'm currently building that out but it's a new it's a new mm -hmm. focus for us to actually be doing it as a let's say a service that we provide mm -hmm. that's a new area for us very interesting I think we can probably talk about it for days or weeks data I mean, response yeah you could that's how I feel and I could listen to that for maybe weeks and I would can do anything with it, a master's or a PhD, it seems, <laughs> but uh, in essence of time and for the uh, our audiences, uh, it's good to know that you focus on data responsibility and how you believed this should be the way to do it, because there are a lot of gray areas, but what was the driver or why did you, as center of innovation, choose to go in that direction of data responsibility? What prompted you in the first place to even look out for something more than the GDPR because typically organizations would say I need to comply with GDPR yeah. then they pick the law hire a person and say this is the law and make me compliant the, the smart ones maybe put a policy in between to say this is our GDPR rather than trying to have yeah. to factor in all the 270 pages every time yeah so they write their own policy but how did you end up or choose to focus on the data responsibility element if I may ask that's an interesting question I've never been asked so um, I think it really was a combination of a um, the fact that we already had a culture of talking about that specifically when we worked with humanitarian organizations mm -hmm. um, and I think it was also a combination of so I'm very increasingly through work I did uh, outside of the center, so I worked with the Ministry of Defense of the Netherlands, mm -hmm. uh, working, looking at the digitization of soldiers and mm -hmm. the risks and opportunities that it posed to those soldiers who were fighting uh, in in the battlefield. And also, I did a bit of work with Harvard Humanitarian, where we were looking at um, uh, early warning systems for mass atrocities. I think that really moved me beyond the, me as a person yeah. beyond the um, looking just at the legal element because those are areas where GDPR is not no. the primary concern the, the life and death of people right um, so I think that really moved me beyond me as a person beyond just looking at the legal obligations and I think it's also a receptive director Mm -hmm. So we got a new director yeah. um, and when she joined, we had a very good conversation about how I view it mm -hmm. and, I, and I think she's been the key factor that changed the way the center views it and has really driven it forward and, for instance, given me the space to explore this topic and really see if we can offer it as a service for the center because I as a person thought that we should mm -hmm. if we're going to recommend 
these technologies, we should be able to couple it mm-hmm. with protecting people's rights. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's the combination of her openness to it mm-hmm. and my exposure to other things and other contexts um, that really led to that. Most organizations I see, they grapple with GDPR and the advanced ones, they will say, oh, there's an ethical part of it. Yeah. And let's set up an ethical committee. So they will have two th- streams going yeah. in. The data protection is more compliant with the law. And the ethics is more broader data related or business yeah. related stream. Wherein you're looking, is it, would you like to do it to yourself as a customer? Yeah. But I haven't seen this broad seven element uh, theory or saying, yeah. let's do it like this. So. I mean, we think those two should be brought together. Yeah. Because, and your cybersecurity team as yeah. well. And, uh, you should have your, my communications officer is incredible when it comes to thinking about how this would mm-hmm. be implemented. So I think it really, the siloing, I think this, we also found yeah. to stop that siloing because that's one of the things I see that hinders organizations yeah. is, is having all these that's decisions true. and it's not one coherent plan. The ethical stance can really help you with the legal Right. obligations your tech team if you can't if you are struggling to do something ethically your tech team might have a very good way to do it more ethically so yep. they have to be together they just have to and I, right. it seems like a given to me but I, I very often I see an organization and they have it separated um, yeah yeah that's quite interesting because normally organizations would as i said look at it like that but if you look at it data responsibility it kind of cuts across silos yeah which is a big challenge you'll have the communications coming in in the end yeah not being part or sometimes being part of it but not being so aware so it's very interesting yeah. uh, moving on when you do this data responsibility and the data privacy part what comes out as the biggest challenge because you may have, I think, very different challenge from some of us who are focused on primarily the legal or sometimes the ethical aspect of it. We do talk about culture, mm-hmm. but that's where we leave it. For us, if we establish a privacy culture, it's big. But what's your biggest challenge or concern? Oh, that's a hard question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I think organizationally or as a person, as an individual who has to... Because the biggest challenge as an organization is, um, I think, once you awaken people, right. <laughs> the immensity of the responses you get once yeah. you've started. They, there's the term that they use in cybersecurity that your people are your senses. Once yeah. you've activated those senses, you have to be prepared for the amount of feedback you're going to get. And I think that was something, a challenge for me, because I didn't expect that switching on mm-hmm. to happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy with it and yeah. I couldn't be more proud or I, I don't want to say proud, but impressed yeah. with how quickly people I work with switched on. Mm-hmm. And that is promising and I think made me even more excited that we could really start a change in how people view mm-hmm. um, data and privacy. But the biggest challenge was then also being prepared for the amount of feedback. So that's the yeah. personal part. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we all would love to have that challenge rather than have the challenge of activating people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 
that that's I think. That oh, I that's think the first challenge, and then the next one. But that's why my communications officer is, I think, the one of the people I connect with most mm-hmm. on a daily basis because any presentation I give, anything I write, anything, mm-hmm. I'm always asking her to tell me would this get through with that audience? Mm-hmm. Do you think this is the right wording? Because you have to, you if you want people to buy in, you really have to be tailoring it to their context. Mm-hmm. Because I think the only way people can be switched on that quickly is if they can relate to their own lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And now privacy is a profession for us. And I see you're very passionate about privacy. And we do make a living out of it, but then it becomes boring for people who are not so into privacy. Sometimes it becomes like, why do you always talk about privacy? And sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, we'll do it just because you are saying it. But how do you feel others are, how do you feel we can make it interesting for others? Isn't that the if if I had the answer to that, I would just I'd be a <laughs> You'll millionaire. Be the genie. I'd be I'd be the person to go to. Um, yeah, we all try to make yeah. it interesting. We all try to develop privacy cultures. We all try to make it interesting, simple, easy. But end of the day, what's yeah? I think, like I've said before, I think relating it to their own personal lives, I think, okay. is is the important part. Um, and I think also. I think there is this understanding the privacy challenge and understanding privacy is very difficult. It's a very complex issue that we're facing. And it's very, I think, still unclear just how big the challenge is that we face. So I'm currently reading the book um, Surveillance Capitalism. Mm -hmm. I'm a privacy expert. I knew a lot of it. And even Then? then I was kind of almost scared off by how big the challenge is. Luckily, I love challenges, so I it's quite easy for me to get over that mm-hmm. initial reaction, but it's hard to understand. It's, it's, it's a very long book, and it's very comprehensive, but she goes over just how we got into the situation we're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really complex, and I think if people like you and I who like it, Mm-hmm. are passionate about it have the time or the interest in reading those types of books or getting that information if we could mm-hmm. better communicate it without causing fear i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of fear mongering that happens people, yes it people is. they are gonna violate our privacy and it's it's can we just yeah constructive conversation is something i i think lacks especially between sectors and really patiently take the time to explain it to people without scaring them i think Mm. we'd have a whole different conversation but the fear-mongering is i think the biggest thing and also trying to help people get over the helplessness of it (laughs) because when you think about it Mm -hmm. the most conversation is consumers should take take uh, ownership over their data they should uh, demand their rights it's a very easy thing to say until you start trying to understand where what the current legal regimes are that say where your rights are and end and just try and get somebody who isn't a legal expert to understand the GDPR. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's such a easy thing to expect every consumer to be able to do that. 
but it's not going to happen because it's nope. too complex. It's so complex. And that's kind of another reason we chose this focus with data responsibility. Yep. The more complex the technology becomes, the harder it is to understand where the data is going, who has your data. You know, so I think getting people like you and I to communicate through podcasts, yeah, simple, media. simple ways of, of explaining things that uh, people may not have the time to read. Mm -hmm. And then also understanding that people are, it is our responsibility. Right. There is a responsibility on those of us who have the expertise, the ability to understand it, the time to understand it, to try and protect those who can't. Mm -hmm. Because I think there is a lot of people who are trying to get through their lives mm -hmm. and saying that they should start demanding their rights. They should be sending GDPR request emails to every, <laughs> com every, every company that has their data. How many apps do you have on your phone? maybe 50 or 60 <laughs> so you can imagine it's yeah it's and i think there's there's the conversation needs to change that's my biggest yeah i think the conversation needs to change and also the perspective of everybody who's giving out their data needs to change at the yeah. moment it's kind of giving into the fate and saying we can't control it yeah it's too late this is just a retrospective aspect because laws tend to follow technology so technology leads they go forward and then the law comes along. Yeah. And by then, sometimes there's a perspective. Some people say it's too late. Yeah. And you also mentioned, but do you believe uh, that it's still possible to rein in control and get people in control of their data? Yes, I have Good. to. I'm an optimistic person. <laughs> I don't think it'll be easy. I think yeah. um, we've I think there's massive cultural change that changes that need to take place. I think a lot of the uh, reasons people don't have control are not necessarily directly related to data itself. I mm -hmm. think, um, for instance, let's take the idea that a lot of us app users, technology users, mm -hmm. are no longer the customers, right? But we are the uh, the raw material that's producing data right. for companies who then have other customers who use that behavioral data or, or our data for the actual money. That's where the actual money is. Yeah. I think that's also a result of us as customers and mm -hmm. myself included being very used to free apps, right. free, not having to pay yeah. for these um, things. And that's also wider to the economic crisis. It's economic True. climate. I think it's wider than just data privacy, but getting prepared for having to become the customer again. Mm -hmm. And when you are the customer, there is a financial transaction that takes place. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you see the conversations about, we'll pay people for their data. Right. I think the terms of service agreements, I think those would be a lot stronger mm -hmm. if there was a customer, a financial transaction taking place. I think that's, I, do I think it can change? Yes. Do I think it will? I guess we'll have to see how many people are prepared to take up that fight. True. And I think we don't know if it'll simply go into pure control dimension or a financial transaction dimension. Yeah. But either way, it'll not be one-way traffic. It won't be that companies are using data and their consumers don't know and have no control. No. Even if it's a financial reward or financial transaction yeah. it's a means to control what you give in and when yeah 
and know. how much. Yeah, because if you're being paid for your data, you know how much you should. If everything is honest, you should know how much you're giving them then, right. because it should. You know, I think they're. It's a massive. At least there's change. transparency. Yeah. And that's what we are aiming for in all these laws. Yeah. Okay, so we have to unfortunately close this one. So if I may ask you, sorry, believe me, this was a very useful conversation okay. and I'm sure the uh, audiences will react positively. Yeah. However, just before I close, what would be your one key message for everyone who's involved in privacy or otherwise? One key message. Oh, you can have two, but uh, <laughs> okay. one or two. Well, I always have the one um, that I aim at young people or, mm -hmm. or students work at a university. It is the one that I always aim at them. And that mm -hmm. is, you don't have to wait until you're finished your degrees to get involved in this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you also have something to contribute from the get-go. Yeah. Um, I started working at Ministry of Defence as a second year mm -hmm. uh, bachelor's student. So I think people need to realise that they have an impact mm -hmm. and have the ability to have an impact with novel insights mm -hmm. much earlier than they think they do. Mm -hmm. um, and never to think that their questions are dumb. The number yeah. of times I've given talks or presentations and I get a young person or somebody who is maybe inexperienced, they don't have 10 years of experience saying, mm -hmm. you know, starting their question with, this may be a dumb question, or <laughs> I'm just a bachelor's student. And I'm that always really gets me because I don't believe in dumb questions because you might be asking a fundamental question that somebody's overlooked because they've been doing it for 10 years. Right. And anybody who's an expert should be able to answer that dumb question perfectly and if they can't they don't know what they're doing what they're doing so i don't <laughs> think it's a dumb question you're making people remain right. alert to what they're doing so keep asking questions yeah no matter what the question is just keep just ask, <laughs> just ask. It and don't start it with it might be a dumb question sure and then i think for everybody else do i have a key message yeah i think we need to start thinking very hard about where we're going yeah. and we need experts from all areas to mm -hmm. be thinking about how technology is going to affect their area because right now i think it's very limited to data scientists okay. uh, programmers i think we need cultural we need humanities we need social sciences we need all these people who understand the culture who understand society Mm -hmm. to be looking into technology and, and data privacy and how it's going to affect the groups that they're experts on. So Interesting. So for you, privacy is for everyone, the whole society. Yeah. I think that's the essence of GDPR as well. Yeah, which is that's, why I love, love it. Yeah, that's why we are all uh, in this thing yeah. so passionately. Yeah. Day in, day out. Yeah. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and it was a... Great talk, very insightful, and I love the concept of data responsibility, and I will look at your websites to see more, yeah. and maybe uh, find out ways to know more about it. I mean, if you have any feedback on it, my email address is up there. I love critical sure. feedback on things I've And developed. you're okay for the audiences also to give yeah. feedback. That's good to know. So 
<clears throat> we'll post the link to your website in, uh, underneath uh, the podcast so that people can react. Perfect. So thanks for being here. As I said, it was a pre- pleasure having you and have a great time protecting and being responsible on data. Thanks. So thanks everyone for tuning in. This was Joanna Vandermerv from Center for Innovation at University of Leiden. Thanks. Stay blessed and speak to you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you like this effort. Please do click like, comment and share. It is okay if you did not like it. Please still do make a comment and share with us what we can improve. If you have suggestions, ideas for guests or you want to have your question answered, please email me. My email is info at punitbhatia.com. You can also share this with others. And if you do so while tagging me in, I will personally thank and acknowledge your contribution in coming episodes. Thanks once more and look forward to seeing you back. Till then, stay safe, stay blessed and stay happy.